0: listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. In the wholesale specialty and reinsurance end of the global P&C market, we can easily make the mistake of focusing too exclusively on the North American and European markets that make up the lion's share of worldwide premiums. We can easily fall into the error of thinking that hard markets are universal and that whenever the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold that's why it's great to get a different perspective with a CEO who's been building a business in the world's fastest growing markets in Asia for the last seven and a half years. I learned a lot from my chat with Franz Hahn of Peak Re. For instance, the COVID-19 crisis means that credit markets are a great opportunity, as are product liability covers for exporters, particularly high added value ones such as pharmaceuticals. Asia's prior experience of SARS, bird and swine flu and MERS means that insurance wordings here are crystal clear and the COVID-19 disputes that are littering Western courtrooms are simply not an issue. I also learned that the market conditions are stratified between its developed and emerging markets. There's a lot of really useful information packed into this interview. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get started, I'm here with Rick Lindsay, Chairman of Prime Holdings and the CEO of Claims Direct Access, who have kindly supported this podcast. Rick, first, thanks so much for your support. Why don't you briefly tell us about the Prime Group and CDA and what they could do for our listeners?
1: Sure. Prime Holdings is a holding company, and we're excited to expand our claims TPA service, Claims Direct Access, which is the exclusive claims manager for Prime Insurance Company and has managed claims for Lloyd's since 1995 when we've been on the Lloyd's line slip as a risk taker. So we plan on coming over to London and uh, hopefully providing our partners more flexibility where we can issue prime paper where necessary we can support and take risk on the Lloyd's line slip and offer our superior claim service which is evidenced by prime's own loss ratio for the past 10 years i believe that claims is the key to success in our business that's really the only thing we do that adds value obviously you can be a good underwriter and if the claims falls apart, the underwriting is a waste of time. If you're a good underwriter, you need to balance the scale with good claims. So again, we're excited to bring superior claim service to the Lloyd's marketplace and offer the ability to share risk alongside them as we manage the
0: claims. Well, thanks so much, Rick. And I'll make sure there are all the right links in the podcast notes. And let's get on with the podcast. France. Well, we're in a hard market, most people would agree. You're the Asian expert at Peakree. How is it manifesting itself in Asia?
2: I wouldn't say that we see a hard market yet in Asia. That has a lot to do with our experience 1st of January. And that shows that the cats of the last couple of years have not yet turned the markets around. 1st of January renewals would be classically Korea, South Korea and China and a bit of Southeast Asia. The hardening really comes in with more the developed markets, as there are really two camps. They are the developed markets in Asia and there are the emerging markets in Asia. And developed markets are reacting to global trends much more because the structure of their portfolio they offer to the reinsurance industry is quite similar to what you would see in the United States. So Japan, first of April, we have seen strong hardening of the loss affected windstorm areas, not so much anything else. On the CAT side, around 50% of increases. On the proportional side, around 10% reduction of the reinsurance commission. In Australia, we are in the renewals, but most of them have been finalized. We see a strong increase of of the CAT XL market. And then comes now something which has to do with not only losses, but also with change in our economics. And this is the casualty hardening. We have seen first the casualty hardening in April for Japan, specifically on product liabilities and product liability exports to the United States, as well as pharmaceutical. In pharmaceutical, it went that far that you even run out of capacity. And this is now a completely new trend, which is driving the market very, very strong up in a very steep manner. Australia now, we see the hardening on the casualty side as well. It affects most, because of the structure in Australia, it affects mostly the facultative business and the Financial products, DNO, PII markets. And now, looking forward towards the end of the year when the renewals are coming in for those markets I mentioned in the beginning, the emerging markets, we see now already in discussions with brokers and with clients, there is a certain kind of mental preparation that the markets are hardening. And we need to see this. Additional losses have not been paid for sufficiently.
0: And just to clarify, when you're talking about the difference between the, the more developed markets and the developing markets in terms of structure, would it be right to say that more developed markets are less proportional, more non-proportional, and yes. the emerging markets are much more proportional? And that, that's the way you do business there.
2: That's where the key factor comes in. Even though you see massive programs, meanwhile, already coming in on the Catex L side in China, but against the massive proportional market, it's still very minute.
0: And again, so to summarize, it, you're saying that on the casualty side, on things like product, so product liability for export to Western markets, that's a really hard area at the moment. And you're actually saying there's genuine shortages of capacity in those fields. Yes. And then particularly hard areas in things like DNO in Australia that we've all known about with the Royal Commission and particularly financial institutions there. Again, these are really opportunity areas. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think. There is a preparation in, across the entire market in Asia Pacific. For, so everyone's
0: ready. Everyone's sort of ready and mentally preparing themselves for increases. So then the logic to that then, France would be Peak Re. You're an expansive reinsurer. You've grown all the way through the market, even when it wasn't as the conditions weren't as good as now. So presumably now is it you're really going to be um, ramping up expansion even more? I, I presume is that right?
2: Certainly, it's a good timing. Of course, the cat business in Asia, but also across in USA is a good place to be opportunistic and to go after it and to be part of the underwriting and we will certainly strengthen in this year our uh, developed market underwriting versus the emerging markets underwriting, which is a function of this opportunism. I think we will, in general, we are an organization which we have from right the beginning built ourselves around Clients and we had made a selection of clients and this is extremely important in the emerging markets That you are selecting the right clients because differences in emerging market between one and the other client can be Extremely huge in terms of quality and so we are thriving on that basis and That was the whole economic idea of big that if you get a sound position in Asia Pacific with the right clients Let's say we have a market share in market X, we will still grow year by year but between 15 and 20% of course, COVID. COVID-19 is putting a damper on it for a while, but still, that's why the opportunistic drive into markets which are hardening is extremely important for us. Yes. We will so certainly- Francis,
0: will you find it easier now to be able to increase your share with some of those better clients and you differentiate your client book better now that there's a slightly harder market?
2: No, I don't think so. I think the relationship is extremely strong. We have been very client centric and driving through our insight into the market, through our underwriting system and philosophy, driving the relationship stronger and stronger. And that allows us, on the various lines of business, to increase our share year by year.
0: One of the corollaries of a hard market, almost across the board, and in reinsurance, is a hard retro market. Obviously, Peak Rees had a very capital efficient model and, and you have used a lot of retro, used the capital of retro sessioners. So how does a very hard market in retro now affect your strategy going forward in terms of capital?
2: I think there are a couple of cornerstones when we think about retro market. We have always been underwriting our business on a cross basis. And the retro market, which we are working with our partners, they have been there from right the beginning and we still maintain the same kind of panels of retro as from the first year on and that makes a difference when they know that you're not just caring for your own net retained business but you are also caring for their cross the other part is we look to protect our balance sheet that's the key philosophy of us balance sheet protection through retro and we have been to support the cross underwriting we have been developing in 2014 already a risk-adjusted steering portfolio steering model which is steering the portfolio year in year out into better risk-adjusted profit-taking and with the hardening of the market of course it's still an issue even though we try to do everything correct but we are still being hit by stronger retro pricing we can allow ourselves to drive up our retention for sure and then The ILS strategy, which we have started a few years ago and was manifesting in Line Walk 1 and Line Walk 2, last year and this year, and our acquisition of LUTIS, which is now Peak Capital, is certainly showing we try to drive more down the road on the ILS systems then 100% relying on the retro market.
0: So do you think you're going to be trying to flex a bit of the ILS? That's more likely to be increasing? Yes. And obviously we've, seen, uh, we've now seen capital raising. Is that a possibility for peak re as another way of managing your retention, You know, just being able to have a bigger balance sheet so that you can retain more?
2: In the one form or the other, definitely. This is something which is not necessary at the moment. Our capital ratio sits very strong. But in order to fuel further growth, certainly we will look at all those opportunities.
0: We've seen a lot of capital raising and obviously to the point where we're now talking about a class of 2020 emerging. What's your thinking about that? Do you think some of that capital raising is defensive or is it most of it offensive, attacking to, to be able to get the capital in, to be able to make the most of improving market conditions? Or is it really more defensive to shore up balance sheets ahead of uncertain times on the asset side and also on developing losses like COVID-19?
2: What I see, it's, it's more offensive and most of the capital which is being raised is being used for special lines. This is not being used for proportional business in China. This is not being used for mainstream stuff. This is really for more North Atlantic specialty lines business and for short term profit taking. But now, when I look at the numbers so far, so far what I'm looking at is I think 10 billion. And if 10 billion would be around, of the lower end of the estimates for COVID-19 losses. And I would not dare to give any estimates on COVID losses because this is a long lasting issue and we will have to calculate for many years what the total losses will be. But possibly it is more 200 billion than 20 billion. So it's only um, spitting in a bucket 10 billion. But certainly for those who waste the money and those who are specialized in specialty lines, it's certainly a good opportunity.
0: So to summarize that, you'd say that that those are unlikely to move the wider, major mainstream reinsurance market that you play in. And to infer from what you're saying about COVID, you think it's unlikely to be a small loss and likely to be quite a long tail loss in the way it plays out. Is that right? Yes, I agree. Let's give an Asian perspective on we are very, as you know, particularly in insurance, and in insurance media, we're almost obsessed with North America, of course, and, and quite, I suppose, rightly so, if it's 50% of our market. Could you give us an Asian perspective? Because we've had lots of stories of emerging pro- you know, disputes with business interruption, particularly on commercial lines on both sides of the Atlantic. Is there an Asian perspective? Have there been similar problems, or uh, has it all been more amicable?
2: No, we don't see, to, to be very short, we don't see those problems. However, this morning I was reading an S&P report that the total losses for Asia, not Asia Pacific, Asia, will be around 3 trillion U.S. dollar. And 3 trillion U.S. dollar is exactly the amount of the foreign currency savings in China, 3 trillion. So that's a huge amount. And of course, when you look at the size of the economies, of course, A big piece will have to be borne by China. On the insurance side, we we don't see this much. This is, it's more, Asians are always looking for community solutions. And Asians would not look to governments to step in to pay for something which has not been calculated for. And you see the response of societies like my home city, Hong Kong. We hardly have any impact of COVID-19, but we have a lot of care that nothing is happening. The borders, even to China, are still closed. And the people in Hong Kong have reacted very quickly, and I think also in China and Japan and Korea, to measure, to put on the masks, to protect themselves, keep a social distance. And I I don't think that we will see anything popping up again. When I look back to 2003, the SARS epidemic, That was different in the city and in Singapore. Many more losses came through on the employer's liability side and on the BI side. And basically, SARS was a good testing ground for making sure that the wordings are adequately written. And so that today it's very clear that pandemics don't slip through on the insurance side
0: you're quite comfortable that in the Asian side of the market, that $3 trillion economic loss is not going to be, uh, that the percentage (laughs) of that that's going to filter through to insurance is going to be really minuscule, I presume.
2: But one exception, and that's credit insurance. Sanusure is by now one of the big four credit insurers for trade credit, protecting their exports and imports between USA and Europe. And at the moment, it's too early to say China definitely has a huge amount of stabilisation being planned, and we don't know yet how this will come through on the credit side. On BI and CAT, we don't have the same kind of disputes like we would see in USA or
0: Europe. And so do you think there's opportunities in trade credit for the private market?
2: Yeah, certainly. Certainly, the demands will definitely rise again. It will be completely different from a global trading perspective. We will see the global trade being subdued, over the next couple of years it's more regional and China has over the last 30 years always had difficulties to fire up the domestic spending and over the last 10 years this really happened and much stronger now and this will now be a quantum leap for China in terms of domestic spending domestic spending which will be completely different which is online no more going to shopping malls, it's, it's purely online. And that has been a trend for quite a while. And the trend has now been accelerating tremendously during the crisis.
0: So the problem there is going to be more pure broad economic because obviously with that increase in um, household credit that we've seen in, in China is likely to yes. be an economic problem going into this, what we know is yes. going to be a big recession. Yes. Well, we're talking about this hard market when you launched, Franz, I remember having a conversation with you at launch and. You're very much Asia only. You're still two-thirds of your premiums Asian. Do you think this hard market in 2020, 2021, and potentially beyond, is it a chance for you to truly globalize? Yes. To, to, are you going to do it? You don't have to give us exact details of, of what you're planning, but so we should be expecting to see peak re- appearing in different continents.
2: Which we do now, but we are not yet seen. Right. So 23% of our income last year derived from North America. And that's mainly usa and nine percent from europe and nine percent was basically reducing to where we were before because of the tremendous growth which we have seen in asia but of course we will make use of our presence in switzerland and be present in, in the european market and that's a golden opportunity for us usa already now at the first of what was it first of june underwriting and first of july underwriting we are stepping up very strongly but it takes time we are still a relatively small reinsurer SP list was last year end of last year at 30 number 30 in the whole running list and perhaps we are climbing up one or two or three notches this year but we are still relatively small but certainly to those companies in the mid-range in Europe, as well as in America, and not the national or international leaders, but the level below, certainly they know our name already and they're dealing with us.
0: You mentioned about specialty, about a lot of that capital raising going into specialty. I suppose that's because it really is a hot ticket at the moment, obviously, particularly US excess and surplus lines. We've seen um, Ed Noonan come out of retirement to go back in there with Starstone. Also at Lloyd's, good times at Lloyd's and Lloyd's making quite a lot of effort to make itself more attractive to new entrants and cleaning up its house in terms of administration and operational efficiency. Are you tempted by any of those markets as a play of, to diversify Picree?
2: No, we have to stick to our guns and we should not try to beat somebody else. We should try to live what we have been good at so far and not jump on it. It's a short-term opportunity as we know.
0: So the strategy is much more to be a broad-based partnership reinsurer.
2: Yes. Yes,
0: exactly. COVID-19 is a crisis. Crises enhance the reputations of some and they tarnish the reputations of others. Who do you think are going to be the big winners and losers in the insurance industry from the crisis?
2: I only know that we will be a big winner.
0: (laughs) Partly because of, as you described, the lack of problems in the Asian market in dealing with it, with the COVID lack of disputes, that this can only enhance your reputation because you, you simply won't be in the sort of disputes that anybody who's playing in Europe or in North America would be involved in.
2: I think yes, because everything is set very nicely for us, for hardening markets. We have been surviving the early years, the startup period. We have been surviving quite okay, without any major scandal or any major significant losses and we have been building up a reputation in the market. Our capital strength is relatively good. We have access to capital whenever we need it. And then last but not least, a relative benign exposure to the COVID-19 situation. And that's altogether gives us a good opportunity now to, it's basically referring to the previous point where we can really become even stronger global, support further the, the Asian growth market, which is basically an opportunity to grow every year but fifteen to twenty percent, but then further go into the global into the global markets and global for us for the next couple of years is Western Europe and USA.
0: France, you mentioned before about with uh, COVID-19 in mm-hmm. Western markets, we've had interesting solutions being proposed, probably sort of state backed solutions, Priya in the mold of TRIA, and things in the UK and the, perhaps in the mold of Pool Re yeah. and similar things in the NatCat in France. You mentioned about community based solutions in, in Asia. Are there any kind of novel Asian solutions that are being proposed to provide some measure of cover against future pandemic risks or, or future mm-hmm. systemic risks of this kind?
2: No, Mark, I allow myself to have a review over the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, this place, Hong Kong, has seen five epidemics. If you call COVID-19, also another epidemic. So we have gone through the swine flu, we have gone through the chicken flu, the SARS, MERS, and this one now. And there was never any idea coming up that the government should build up any protection fund. The government knows that they are um, the resource of last resort in kind of crisis. And here would not be anyone expecting that anybody provides a solution other than people themselves trying to protect themselves adequately through health, adequate health protection, life protection, but also putting funds behind, own funds.
0: Let's talk more generally about Chinese capital and its sort of venturing out into the world. We were talking about a big wave of Chinese capital coming. That wave sort of came and then it receded. Given your inside view, can you give us a view of what was happening there? You know, what factors were in play there?
2: I think this can be understood by looking at the answers to the global financial crisis in 2008 and where China stepped up to try to protect the world and, and to stabilize the world economy by printing money and, and throwing money out into the markets very, very strongly. This will not happen in, during this period. China needs it for itself. But at that time, yes, that happened. And there was a lot of money and there was a lot of private enterprises, but also a few state-owned enterprises who wanted to globalize themselves and went out and tried to buy everything. We have seen this. I think it was in the 60s, 70s, by the Japanese, that they came and they were gone, where they wanted to buy everything in Europe as well as in in the United States. And I think we have had a look into consolidation, that the state was understanding how much was funded by the state banks. And I'm very proud that our shareholder is one who is still very highly regarded and, and running very well and has been staying away from all this volatility over the last couple of years. And the state had strong interest to stabilize this, specifically after the economic or the stock exchange crisis four or five years ago in China, where suddenly the entire stock market collapsed in a totally unprecedented way after almost 30 years of stock exchange in China. You could only see one way up, all the time, they have never seen a a, a real correction. And that was the real first correction. And that was the signal for the government to really have a closer look, what's going to happen? What is happening here with all the companies going out and investing the money which we have been printing into foreign companies? And so that has been dying down as you have identified clearly. And I don't think this will come back.
0: So, it was just sort of blowing off a natural amount of froth that was created post financial crisis. I think so. Well, obviously, France, we're in kind of interesting geopolitical times and uh, sitting in in Hong Kong. I'm sure you're fully aware of that. What do you think is going to be happening to that Chinese globalization project if geopolitics keeps going the way it's going, which seems to be tending more towards retrenchment from globalization and isolation?
2: Yeah, similar to the United States, unfortunately. Yeah. I think China is still very strongly interested in a globalized world of trade and services and they will not step back from it. But certainly there there are because of the geopolitical forces. There are certainly reactions. Normally, I'm, I'm never commenting on geopolitics. That's not my job. My job is really reinsurance and we are not impacted by geopolitics. That's the positive thing.
0: One last question, I think, would be we've seen a lot of consolidation in, in the broker world. We've had MMC an and JLT getting together, and now we've got a really mega deal in prospective mega deal in Aon Willis. Does it worry, Ree, that uh, your distribution is going to be consolidated so much, or do you have a different perspective being in, in the Asian market? Does it not affect you as, as, as badly as it might somebody sitting in Western markets? I think
2: our minds are less affected. We certainly will see this as well and see this happening. But I'm of the opinion that very strong minds will always find the right framework to service it. And that's what we have seen in any other mergers or consolidations. And in the end, we will be served very well. And in the one way or the other, and we, we see this, you know, brokers, older brokers suddenly gain a lot from this wave of consolidations of the big brokers. So I'm, I'm less concerned about it. And I think in Asia, we are less concerned about it.
0: Well, Franz, thanks so much for giving me some of your time. You must be incredibly busy the way the markets are and the way the world is at the moment. So I wish you all the best and, and hope you'll be coming back to speak to us very soon.
2: Thank you very much, Mark. I enjoyed it.
0: Thank you, Franz.
2: Stay healthy. Bye.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Thanks for listening. And once again, big thanks to today's supporter, Claims Direct Access. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.